This past uh, Wednesday night, uh, Pastor Jeremy was gracious enough to let me have a trial run with this sermon uh, with the interns. So they were my guinea pigs. And uh, uh, one of the things that often occurs to, uh, to me or happens to me when I, I talk for a prolonged amount of time is uh, my mouth gets really, really dry and I got to just chug a ton of water. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know that beforehand. And so as the interns, after I, I, I gave the sermon, immediately after that, they, they give me the critiques of the sermon. It's like, this is what you could do a lot better. And one of the things that was brought up is like, dude, we got, we got to figure out this water issue. <laughs> and uh, this is what Pastor Jeremy said. They was talking about, you know, just drink a gallon of water beforehand. Clay's like, eat an apple. Uh, the morning it balances out some kind of pH in your mouth or something, and then and then Jeremy said, you know, even like a like a like a sipping pouch or some kind of straw. I'm like, the only thing I heard was like, he wants me to drink out of a sippy cup, like an adult version of a sippy cup up here. I'm like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm just gonna go with a bottle of water. So that being said, uh, there will probably be a lot of water breaks. Um, my text today is Matthew chapter 18, um, verses 21 through 35. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. I will be reading verses 21 and 22 uh, to begin our time. So let's stand for the reading of God's perfect word. Verse 21 says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your extravagant grace that you display here in this text. And I just pray uh, for uh, sinners like me and others in this room, Lord, that just are so dependent upon your grace, that that grace would overflow to others today as you uh, minister to us through the preaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. David Simpson is a jerk. Pam, Bobby, not, not that David Simpson. This, this David Simpson is from Lincoln County. Lincoln County is where I grew up. It's where I went to high school. Um, and I was on Facebook, and sometimes people that you've not thought about for years just come across your, your Facebook feed, and David Simpson popped up. And my reflexive response to seeing that name and seeing his face was, that dude's a jerk. And here's why. 1989, freshman in high school at Lincoln County. 30 years ago, yo. I'm in health and PE class. Now, I have no problem with the PE part of the class. I love that. Love that. We would do that for, for half the semester. But the other half, we was in health class. And uh, it was just kind of boring. Uh, and one of the things I did to kind of pass the time in health class was to broker baseball card trading uh, 
I don't know, major, like, you know, general manager deals is what I would do. And so this guy, David, and I had been working on this, on this deal for a long time. A lot of cards were being swapped. But the major card that I wanted, the baseball card that I wanted and was willing to, to give up a lot to get, I think I even gave up like a Jose Canseco rookie card or something like that, which I, I loved Jose Canseco before he went crazy, uh, was a Ken, rated rookie Ken Griffey Jr. card. It's right here on the screen. It was awesome. It was his rookie season, 1989, and I just knew this guy was going to be great, and so I, I brokered this deal with him. Everything's good. Uh, the, the health teacher, the PE teacher, he was the baseball coach, so he didn't really have a problem with it. Uh, but for some reason, uh, I, I got called up to the front of the room uh, to talk to Coach Ralston, and it was about some kind of paper or some kind of assignment. And I came back to, to my desk, and uh, I started looking through my, through my baseball cards, and it hit me as I, I can't find this card. I can't find my King Griffey Jr. rated rookie card anywhere. My initial response was, David Simpson, you stole your card that you just traded to me. And it's like, that bothered me, so I couldn't ever prove it. I couldn't prove it. I was like, David, did you steal the card? He's like, no, I didn't. Other guys around me, did you steal my card? No, I didn't. Nobody owned up to it. I couldn't prove it. I was furious. 30 years goes by. Not thought about David Simpson in forever. See that Facebook post. See his face. See his name. Reflexive response. Dude, that's the jerk that stole my baseball card. <laughs> and that's the thing about forgiveness. You, you think, uh, you, know, you know, you don't even think about it. And then all of a sudden, something just pops up and it's like uh, reflexive emotions, thoughts about people uh, that maybe are their issues of forgiveness that you got to wrestle through. It's like, what, what, what does that look like for me? What, how do I even begin to, to, to deal with, you know, what, that baseball card situation? I just let it go. But in our text, Peter has questions as well. In verse 21, he says, um, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, what prompted this question of Peter is what Jesus had said just a few verses earlier in chapter 18. And to just give you a little context of Matthew, the book of Matthew uh, in total, is that there's five major teaching courses sprinkled out throughout Matthew. And Matthew chapter 18 just happens to be the fourth of those. And some church leaders have given this uh, particular discourse a title. It's called the, the Discourse on the Church. This Matthew chapter 18 is, is a lot about how the church is to function. Um, and one of the things that Jesus wants the church to know is how do you deal with forgiveness of brothers? He says, Jesus says in verse 15, says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he, is not, if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
Here Jesus is uh, instructing the church how to deal with uh, brothers that sin, brothers and sisters that sin in the church, and how to go about uh, church discipline. And the, proper, the, the purpose of church discipline is not to kick folks out. No, it's to, to call them to repentance and to get them to a point of restoration with the church body. That's the whole purpose of it. And so Peter, in verse 21, is like, I, 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 got, I got some questions about this, this whole issue of forgiveness, right? And he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It's like, all right, is there going to be a cap on this, right? Uh, and he says to him, as many as seven times. Now, kind of the regulation among the Pharisees at that time, their, their teaching was, if your brother sins against you three times, you don't have to forgive them anymore after that. Three times was a cap, and they had a couple of Old Testament uh, passages of Scripture that they used to, to support that. They basically thought, if God is not willing to forgive a person more than three times, then it would be wrong for us to forgive a person more than three times. And so that was kind of the, the thought of the day. Three times, that's the cap for forgiveness. But Peter wanted to impress Jesus, right? He's like, as many as seven times, Lord? So he took three, he doubled it, and he added one for good measure, right? Peter was not going to be like the, the McDonald's of uh, forgiveness, if you will, just kind of standard everyday uh, service of forgiveness. Now, he wanted to be the Chick-fil-A of forgiveness, right? He, want, he wanted to go the extra mile. And even on that seventh time when he forgave his brother, he would say, it was my pleasure to do so, <laughs> right? But what happens when he gets to that number eight? Does he turn into the soup Nazi from Seinfeld and say, no forgiveness for you? Does he do that? Seinfeld, 90s, sitcom. Some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. You should look it up. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. Um, it's, a, it's a great comedy. But anyway, is there a limit to forgiveness? But Jesus wasn't impressed with Peter's uh, generosity. Jesus says to him in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And 77 is not the real number here. What was actually being communicated is 70 times seven. So if you do the math, that's 490 times you got to forgive one person for repeated sin over and over and over again. All right? So if you relate this to data plans... All right, do I need to get a limited data plan or do I need to get an unlimited data plan, right? Do I, do I need to get, like for Peter, he just like, I'll just, I just need seven gig, that's all I need, all right? Peter and Jesus is like, no, no you, you're going to have to have the 500 gig here. Uh, you're going you to need a lot more data in your forgiveness, if you will. But that wasn't Jesus' point. It, it wasn't like, okay, you can stop forgiving at 491. No, the point is that forgiveness for the Christian is unending. You never stop, even if it's the same person over and over again, the same thing. You just don't stop forgiving. And to clarify this, Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you a story. 
Let me tell you a parable. And then the parable uh, really gets going in verse 23. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, a single talent in those days was the largest denomination of currency there was. There's no, no, no bigger amount of currency. In fact, one talent was worth 20 years' wages. Think about that. You just double that and you've worked your, your, your whole career. That's right? 40 for just two talents. But Jesus is using this extreme number to make a point. He says, no, this is 10,000 talents. Do the math real quick. That's 200,000 years worth of labor. So how much this servant owed the king? 200,000. That's how much his debt was. It's like for us, to basically how we throw the, the phrase, oh gosh, that's a zillion dollars, right? Jesus' point, once again, is not a specific number. It's, it's un, this guy had an unpayable, unlimited debt that he owed the king. And it's almost like, you know, if, to make us feel it, it's like, imagine you just, you, you just bought your dream home, right? You have this huge mortgage, and you're, you're about a year in on paying this mortgage. Actually, you've not touched the mortgage. You've just been paying, like, uh, the, the additional, um, what do they call it? Uh, where they get the interest, right? Thank you. Where they, they make you pay all this extra money. And it's like, you're just paying on that, and then all of a sudden, the bank calls. You have to pay us in full today. Or you get kicked out of your house. Or we'll come repossess your house. We'll sell. you got to have the money today. Or maybe some of your college students who just graduated and you have a ton of student debt. And instead of getting you know, a payment plan where you can just pay on it or, or have those things deferred for a while until you get to get going in your career. No, it's like the people that you got those loans from, it's like, no, we have to have it all right now, today. If you don't pay today, you go to jail. <laughs> what would you do? What would you do if something like that happened to you? You would do exactly what, what this guy is. is, is there's no way I can pay this debt. And in and, and verse 25 says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Now, this may seem a little weird, a little harsh, uh, but this is a common practice at the time uh, to, to, to sell people to basically start to recoup money. And this is what the king was going to do. I'm going to, you know, I can't get all my 10,000 talents back, but I'm going to get some of it back. A high-end slave servant at that time uh, would get roughly uh, one talent on the auction block, right? But he probably wasn't a top talent, high-end servant, right? He wasn't. Um, you know, you, you think of high-end places, uh, that, that high-end auctions, like at Christie's, right, in New York. 
uh, those type of places where they get high dollars for just crazy amount of things. This is not what's going down with, with this guy, right? It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, we're in Kentucky here, and we're, this guy's probably going to get yard sale, all right? He's going to get yard sale. All his stuff, go get yard sale. And not just his stuff. Him, he's going to be sitting over there, standing over there in the king's yard cell with his 1980s Murray push mower, right? Just thinking, how, how things get to this? And his wife's going to be over there. He's going to look over and he's going to see his wife being yard sale. She's going to be over there by his, you know, the, the instant pot that he bought her last Christmas. And it's like, this is horrible. And then he's going to look at his kids, right? He's going to look at all his kids being yard sale. And they're just going to have those little, little make offer dots right on their foreheads, right? Just, just, just make the offer for the kids. This king is just trying to recoup as much that he can. What would you do? If you was getting yard sale, what would you do if someone's putting you on Facebook Marketplace? What would you do, basically, if, you, if everything you own, everything in your life is getting liquidated? You would do exactly what this guy did. In verse 26, he says, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. He's begging the king for mercy. He's begging him for more for patience. Basically, he's like, I just need more time. I need more, more sand in this hourglass. Can you give me more sand to put? I just need more time. I'll work, I will work hard. I'll cut back. I'll, I'll work all the overtime down at Okanite I can get. I'll work it all. I'll just work. I'll work like a Beatles song. I'll work eight days a week, all right? I'll, just, I'll work the overtime. We'll cut back as a family. We'll, we'll quit having, you know, nice meals. We'll just eat ramen noodles like every single day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, ramen noodles is all we're going to have. I'll even sell the house. I'll sell the house. I'll move down in a van by the river next to the motivational speaker. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll cut back. I'll make this work. This is what this guy is trying to do. He's on his knees like, I'll make this work. Just give me patience just give me time. But the king says to him in verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Out of pity. Not for any amount of uh, extra time that he needed, not for any, any work just out of pity, he forgives, forgives him this unpayable debt. It's amazing, amazing. You, you think, this guy is like, he, it, 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 there's just silence, right? He's just silent when the king says this to him. Because it's just, this, is, this is too hard to believe. I can't, I can't, this is too good to be true, right? You're going to forgive me this unpayable debt of 10,000 talents, 200 years wages. You're just going to just wipe it clean, right? And he starts to cry, right? Tears. He's like, I don't have to, I don't have to see my wife and kids be yard sale. Tears just flowing. And he may even give a Ric Flair, woo, this is amazing, right? Ric Flair comes out. It's like this, I can't believe it. He 
I thought my life was over, but this king, out of pure grace, forgives me of everything I hold him. He's like, man, thank you, thank you so much, right? He's just, he, can't, he can't express his gratitude to the king enough. But after being forgiven this unpayable amount, you would think this guy would be the most grateful and the most forgiving person that you would ever meet, right? Isn't that what you would think? But verse 28 says, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. A hundred denarii was uh, basically a hundred days wages. One denarii equals one day's wage. So you guys do the comparison here. This guy... The servant just been forgiven 200,000 years wages. And yet he won't forgive someone, his co-worker, who owes him 100 days wage. He won't do it. In fact, it's kind of like, you know, going back to the factory, you know, after, after getting the bank, you know, uh, forgave your loan, you don't even have to pay the mortgage. You can keep the house. You can keep everything. It's, it's all yours. You go back to work. Go over here to Okanagan, you go, go to work, you find, a, you find a co-worker, right, that owes you 20 bucks. You get him, and then you choke slam him to the ground and say, pay what you owe me. This guy's a jerk. He's ungrateful. And it gets worse in verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. And I will pay you. This is the exact same thing this guy just did in front of the king. Exact same words. Just be patient with me. And I will pay you everything. I'll, I'll make it work. I'll, I'll get it back. I'll get your 20 bucks back to you. Just be patient with me. Does this guy forgive his coworker of this uh, very easily payable debt? Like the king forgave him of an unpayable debt? Verse 30 says, He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. I can't even fathom a more ungrateful person. This guy was forgiven an unpayable debt and yet would not let his coworker go that owed him just a few bucks. It's amazing. You've got to be kidding me. Um, and that's exactly how we should feel. And this is how the uh, servant's coworkers felt that saw what happened. He, the guys that, in the factory that saw him choke slam this guy to the ground and demand his money and, and put him in jail, they saw all, everything that went down. And in verse... 31, it says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Their fellow co-workers was like, uh-uh, that ain't right, y'all. Uh, we know what happened. We know how, what the king did for you, and then you turn around and you do this to, to, to one of us. That's just not right. Um, so what do they do? 
they, they tell the master exactly what had happened. What do you think the master is going to do? Verse 32 says, Then this, his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? He called him a wicked servant. He says, You should have had mercy on your fellow servant because I had mercy on you. Mercy should beget mercy. But in this case, it didn't. And in verse 34, the king lays down his judgment. He says, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. We're like, yeah, that's exactly what the king should have done to this jerk, right? This ungrateful, unforgiving person. This is exactly what the king, this is justice, right? But then Jesus says in verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This parable is not a cautionary tale about an unforgiving servant. This parable is for the church. This parable is for Christians like you and I who struggle with forgiving others, no matter how long it's been, right? It's a warning. It's a very, very clear warning for the church and for us that, hey, there is no limit to amount of grace Christians should extend to people who sin against them. Jesus says, in verse 22, just kind of going back there, he said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus has made it clear in this parable that for us as Christians, people who follow Christ, the way we need to think about forgiving people who sin against us is unlimited forgiveness. Unlimited. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how many times they've done it to you, Jesus commands us as Christians to forgive. But why? Why must we never stop forgiving? Because God in Christ forgave us an unpayable debt. Do you realize that about your sin? Do I realize that about my sin? That is unpayable. The, the sin debt, it's not a monetary debt as in the parable. It's a sin debt that we owe God. My debt is unpayable. I can't pay it with more time. I can't pay it by working harder. The only thing I can do is to fall on my knees and plead and beg to the Father, Lord, forgive me of my sin. There's nothing I can do to, to pay it back. We need to, um, what it says in verse 23, it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with servants. 
And when he began to settle, one was brought to him, hold him 10,000 talents. And we, we think of our forgiveness as, as Christians, and we think, yes, the Lord has forgiven all my sin when I trusted Christ. He's forgiven my past sin. He's forgiven my present sin. He's forgiven my future sin. The whole 10K of sins on my behalf is paid for. But why does the Lord teach us in the Lord's prayer that we need to forgive our sins? We need to ask for forgiveness of our sins daily and to forgive others daily. That's what the Lord teaches. Yeah, at the moment of salvation, your sins are, are washed in the blood of Christ. They are, as the, uh, the Old Testament text says, as far as the east is from the west. So far, I've forgiven your sins. That's true. But that brings you into the family of God, right? That makes you a son. That makes you a daughter of the king. Not only are you forgiven, but you're given family status, right? But we all know, because we live in families, sometimes families, um, wrongs are done, and it disturbs the harmony in the family, right? Now, I really think that's why Jesus tells us just daily, we need to forgive. We need to be forgiven. And we need to forgive others. I wonder if Peter, when Jesus was telling him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He had a flashback to this conversation of the seven times 70 because he had just denied Jesus three times. And Jesus said, no matter how much you sin, Peter, you're mine, and I will forgive you. Do you love me? When I got saved at the age of 15, one of the th I had really bad theology, all right? So let that be known to you. Um, one of the things I thought was that when the Lord saved me that day, one of the things was that I'll never sin anymore. Never sin anymore. That is, honest to God, that's, that's what I thought was going to happen. That's why I thought it meant to be a Christian, right? It's like, you, Christians don't sin. That's what I thought. You know how long that lasted? I didn't even make it through, like, Sunday lunch. Like, it was just a few hours after going to the altar. I was like, oh, I'm still a sinner. Maybe I didn't pray that prayer right, right? Maybe that wasn't legit. Why, why am I still struggling with this? No, no. Jesus tells us that as Christians, we're going to sin. That's why he tells us in the Lord's Prayer daily, you're going to sin and you need to ask forgiveness, right? And so that's how it is for the Christian life. Until you die, you're going to need forgiven for your sin. And until you die, you're going to have to forgive others of their sins against you. But how? How is God able to forgive sin? He's able to forgive sin just like this king did. Does God just sweep our sin under the rug and kind of just forget about it? No, no. It's just like this king how did this king forgive this monetary debt? Did he recoup some money somehow? No. The king absorbed 
all the debt. He took the loss. He absorbed it. But God doesn't forgive with money. Scripture tells us the only thing that forgives, that washes away sin, is blood. And so how does God forgive us, make salvation and forgiveness of sin possible? He absorbs the loss of his son. Right? He sends Jesus, his only son, to the cross. And Jesus goes there and he absorbs being beaten beyond all recognition. He absorbs having stakes driven through his hands and feet into a Roman cross. He absorbs suffocating on his own blood until he dies. And behind all of that, he absorbs the full wrath of God on all the sin of his people poured out on Christ. Christ absorbs it. As Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's how God forgives your sin. Your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. He poured it out all on Christ. Christ paid it all. It's in light of the cross that God commands his followers to forgive others when they sin against him no matter how many times. Jesus says in, in verse 32 and 33, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? God's mercy for us should motivate and drive our mercy that we extend to others. It should. Never are we less like God than when we don't forgive our brothers and sisters. And yet never are we more like God than when we do, when we do forgive. And yet forgiving isn't easy, is it? Yeah, there's some sins, some wrongs due to, done to you that's, you know, kind of minor, like being cut off in traffic, you know. It's like well, there's a traffic jam, and some people want to, to use that emergency lane to just get in front of people and just, you know, you're like, you know, these jerks. You know, you, you can let that go, Right? But with as many people as we have in this room, there's been some sins committed against y'all.
that just aren't that easy to forgive, right? Some of y'all have experienced uh, rape. You've been raped. Some of y'all have been cheated on by your spouse. Some of y'all have had money and possessions stolen from people that you trusted, stolen by people you trusted. Some of you have had relatives that has abused you, parents that abandoned you, friends that stabbed you in the back, coworkers that lied about you so that they can get the promotion instead of you. And then there's even those things that we don't talk about, not because we forgot about them, but, but I just can't bring it up. I can't talk about it. My wife and I, as you know, have been fostering um, for about a year and a half. We've been fostering two boys named Jonathan and Shamar. If you don't know, I, I cry in every sermon. So I, I apologize. And I hate it. I hate it. But life can hurt, right? Our goal. Our goal for these boys was to adopt them. We never got into foster care just to, to do foster care. And that's, if you do that, that's hats off to you. Um, that's amazing work that you're doing. But our goal was adoption. That's why we got these boys. We was told that they, their TPR was imminent. They would be eligible for adoption. So we brought these two boys into our home with that mindset. Well, we get about uh, a year. <laughs> To they get to the point of TPR, uh, and the judge does a 180 on us. Says, nope, let's send these boys back to their mom. Let's work out a new plan. And so over the last six months, uh, this mom's been working on her plan, and Kenner and I have witnessed firsthand that there's no way these boys are going to be well taken care of by going back to this mom. They're just not. And so, next Friday, the boys will leave our home and go back to live with mom. And it's easy uh, for a kid and I to be, to be mad, right? To be mad at the judge to be mad at the social workers involved, especially to be bad at the, the mom and the parents and just knowing that, man, well, all we wanted to do was adopt kids and give them a good home. And now this has been taken away. And there's folks in here all over this room who, man, you got some heavy stuff that you're dealing with. 
and we have this text that says uh, by our Lord, it's like, if you don't forgive, not just the easy things, but the hard things, then I won't forgive you. We can't water down. Verse 32, Jesus says, so also, in verse 35, he says, so also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, let me make this clear. This is a parable. A parable is a, a fictional story. The servant never existed. The king never existed. It's, it's, it's a story to, to make a spiritual truth to us. Now, I want us in this room to be aware. This is not forgiveness. A Christian who has, by God's grace, been given salvation and forgiveness of sin, God will never take that away from you. He'll never take that away. His word says he will not do that. But we should take it as a warning. It's like, if I'm not an unforgiving person, whether I really believe the gospel at all, was I ever saved? And we don't have to pretend uh, that forgiving others is easy. I don't think Jesus would give us a warning in this parable if forgiving was easy. However, some of us are not struggling to forgive others because of what they've done to us. Some of us are so racked with guilt right now because of what you've done that you can't forgive others. Both the wrongs done to us and the wrongs we've done to others can hinder our willingness to forgive. In a room with this many people, there, there has to be a tremendous amount of guilt for the wrong we've done to others. No doubt in the size of the room. And once again, I give these examples, the ones I gave before. It's not for anybody in particular. The ones I'm getting ready to give, this is, it's not for anybody in particular. It's just, this is just the life that we live, right? These are things that people have to deal with. Some of y'all may have had abortion in here. And you're, you're just killed by the guilt of that. Maybe some of you have gone through divorce. You're responsible for it. You're just filled with guilt from that. Maybe you've spoken hate-filled words to some of the closest people in your life. Maybe to family, to friends. You've just spoken things that just, you can't believe you actually said them. Some of you guys have probably stolen things in one way or another. You've probably let friends down. You've lied, you've cheated. The list could go on and on, can it? Of things we've done. The thing I didn't understand when the Lord saved me was 15 was I knew I was a sinner. I just didn't realize how bad. And the thing about the Christian life, the, the more you journey in this Christian life, 
Now, I think Pastor Jeremy says this. He's like, I don't know if I sin less, but I know I hate my sin more. And I think that's true of all of us, isn't it? So God calls us in this parable and tells us that forgiven people forgive others. Now, I think it's all today. We can rejoice and we can come to the cross of Christ because it is there that both groups of people, both issues of being forgiven, sinned against, and being, having sin done to us, that we find hope. We find hope in the cross. Some of you can't even bring up the person's name right now. You can't even bring up their name because of what you have against them. Some of you can't even fathom forgiving another person that has done something to you. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus teaches in Scripture, hey, we have to forgive our enemies. You should pray for your enemies. That's what Jesus says. Pray for your enemies. And maybe all you can do right now is just pray for them. I can't call them up on the phone. I can't go over to their house and, and try to reconcile to, to seek forgiveness. All I can do is pray. Pray for them. Maybe you're in a place right now that's like, I can't even pray for them. The answer is the same. Pray. Pray to Christ. Call out to Christ. Just, God, give me the ability and the heart to, to forgive. Because right now I can't. But I want to be forgiving. I really do. I want to forgive just like you've forgiven me of all my sins. But it's hard. But as far as heart change, there's only one person that does this. And this is why he says exactly at the end of verse 5, the last word of the parable is, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you're here today and your heart is not in a position to extend forgiveness, you can only go to Christ. He's the only one who can change your heart. He's the only one. Forgiven people forgive people. Let's pray.